And good morning to you, Mike Smith, enjoying his holiday break. Sterling Fox back with you here on the network for a Wednesday morning, a little soggy down here in Vancouver today. Yesterday on the program, we had a guest on from Paris, from the uh, comparison insurance comparison site Hello Safe. And at that time, we were told that they've been doing a lot of homework on Canadian car insurance rates, particularly during this COVID year, in which so many of us have really reduced our driving activity. We learned, for example, that in British Columbia, ICBC payouts are, uh, the ICB has saved over $900 million in payouts due to a reduced driving and therefore reduced claims. This is uh, our guest, Alex DeSouter, in Paris yesterday, talking about some of these numbers. In British Columbia, the, the saving has, has been high because of course, the the premiums are very expensive. So mm-hmm. I'm surprised to see those very high numbers. So again, the premiums are high, the numbers and therefore in savings are high. And ICBC, to their credit, I suppose a couple of weeks ago, talked about, because a lot of pressure has started to come from BC drivers, recognizing how how much we've reduced our activities, therefore how few, how, how many more, less claims are going through, and how much in Metro Vancouver alone, for example, the savings net to over half a billion dollars. So, well, let's see how about rebates or lower premiums. ICBC talking about possibly reducing premiums for the next two years. The opposition party calling for perhaps a little more, first of all, immediate attention, and secondly, maybe perhaps a bit more of a commitment to reduce those premiums. Uh, Joining us from his riding in Kamloops, North Thompson, is Liberal MLA Peter Millibar. Peter, good morning and welcome. Good morning. Glad to be on. It's good to have you with us. Now, what did you make of the numbers? First of all, just the raw numbers in British Columbia alone, $913 million ICBC won't have to pay out in 2020. Well, they're they're staggering. And, and, um, you know, I think this is why we've been calling for more transparency for the numbers around ICBC in the first place, because uh, we're hearing precious little from the government on this. We're hearing that uh, they may be showing a positive 400 and some million dollars. Uh, So where is that other half a billion dollars gone uh, if the 900 million is an accurate number for savings? And why is that not uh, being distributed back to people in the middle of a pandemic if the savings are a result of, of less travel due to the pandemic. Now, Peter, in the absence of transparency, and there appears to be a deliberate uh, attempt not to have us know for the moment, we also know, and it's their own words, uh, David Eby describing ICBC as a candidate for uh, a couple of elections ago as a dumpster fire. So now they're in charge of the dumpster fire. They've got all sorts of cash. What are they doing with the cash they're not talking about? How are they using that to put out the dumpster fire? Well, they've been in, in power now for four years. Uh, rates have gone up almost 48% over those uh, four years in ICBC. So when they talk about now reducing rates uh, a few percent next year and the year after, right. uh, they'll still be well ahead of where any of the increases had been for the previous 10 years combined. So I think we need to keep that in mind. Uh, this is about pandemic uh, profits. 
This is about them keeping the pandemic profits, not explaining to people where the money has gone and, and why it has not been redistributed back uh, to ratepayers. This has been uh, done in every other jurisdiction in Canada and North America, actually. And uh, we've been calling on it for months and months and months. Uh, they've acknowledged that there are savings because of the pandemic, but they refuse to give any checks back to any policyholders um, at the same time. Well, of course, they, they will tell you that that's offset by the fact that they're busy cutting checks to British Columbians for pandemic relief uh, benefits and so on, which they are. But I, as government, Peter, you are allowed and in fact paid to walk and chew gum at the same time. Well, exactly. And, and what we see in terms of the transparency you're trying to dig into the numbers is, in fact, when we were in the legislature beginning of December, that was actually uh, for the NDP to pass uh, the ability for them to not bring a budget for it for two extra months. So we won't actually get to take a good look at the ICBC books, uh, the numbers, uh, figure out where all this money is going and why it hasn't been redistributed out uh, for an extra two months now instead of in the middle of February. Uh, we are starting to very quickly approach one year of pandemic time. Here. Yes. And uh, and still no no redistribution of the funds that they keep acknowledging uh, should be there, uh, that the crash rates have reduced substantially, that there is a, a savings, uh, but they're the only jurisdiction, again, in Canada that will not provide any type of refund back to policyholders based on this. And so why are they talking about other rate decreases at the same time? Is that on the backs of the pandemic money? We don't know um, because uh, they are not being transparent whatsoever. So most other provinces to one degree or another, and most other provinces of course are, um, they have private insurers with the exception of Manitoba. Uh, most other provinces have somehow or another had insurance companies arrange for what? Rebates, Peter, or reduced premiums or a combination of both? Uh, most have been uh, rebates in the, in the form of, you know, $100 or $200. Uh, you know, it's not going to solve all of your financial uh, woes in, in the middle of a pandemic, absolutely. No right. one is suggesting that. Uh, but if this is about what is uh, seen to be the right way to run an insurance uh, company, and, and it shows you that um, when the various companies have a bit of competition, they have to respond to what the consumers are demanding. In the case of British Columbia, uh, you know, ICBC is, is acknowledging all the same things every other jurisdictions acknowledge in terms of the impacts of the pandemic on their, their balance sheet and their bottom line. Right. Uh, they're, they're saying all the good things that it should go back to ratepayers at some point, uh, but they're refusing to do it. Uh, I don't know what they're waiting for. I, I don't know if it's so difficult for them to cut a second check if they find that uh, the savings are so great uh, another six months from now. Uh, but uh, the fact that they have now have a great many people who have already rolled through last year's policy completely and have already renewed and still have not seen any relief is just simply uh, not acceptable. Yeah, Peter, what are you hearing from voters, uh, not only there in Kamloops, North Thompson, but from around the province? Well, I think it just... Uh, as to the level of cynicism people have around ICBC, you know, the reality is it's a government-run insurance company uh, that just simply cannot be nimble enough and compete enough in, in the modern technological world. Uh, you look at how long it's taking them to roll out things like online renewals yeah. or, or things of that nature compared to what the private uh, sector has been able to do. And, uh, you know, if they were able to actually move at the same speed, um, that would be one thing. But they've demonstrated very clearly with something as simple as, as issuing pandemic rebate checks, 
um, that they are a very slow-moving bureaucratic nightmare that uh, Mr. Eby has decided to add, uh, you know, how many thousands of more staffing to it through no fault to insurance now um, to make it an even bigger bureaucratic machine. Well, Peter, we'll see what uh, what the new year brings. Uh, I suspect there's not going to be any kind of immediate relief, the kind that a lot of drivers across Canada are already enjoying. But thanks for joining us this morning. Happy New Year to you. We appreciate your time today, and we'll definitely talk in the new year. You as well, and Happy New Year to you and all your uh, listeners. Sterling Fox for Mike Smith on this Wednesday morning. Yesterday, after a, a few days off, Dr. Bonnie Henry and Mr. Dix uh, took to the podium and told BC residents the latest in terms of the updates and all of the statistics regarding COVID-19. And in her remarks, Dr. Henry uh, told BC residents not to dine in person on New Year's Eve. So if we shouldn't eat in restaurants, why are they even open for dine-in? Do comments like Dr. Henry's yesterday do more damage to the already struggling restaurant industry Just as a reminder, here's what Dr. Henry had to say. We must only go to a restaurant with our own household. And I would encourage people to instead get takeaway from your local restaurant and celebrate with your household at home and connect with your friends and family remotely. Ian Tostin said as CEO of the BC Restaurant Association. This is unfortunately, Ian, not the first time uh, since the pandemic began that Dr. Henry has recommended to British Columbians or perhaps suggested to British Columbians that we really knock it down or knock off the going out for dinner. And uh, she didn't say that completely, but it was it, it was not welcome news for the restaurant crowd, correct? No, morning, sir. Uh, yeah, a little surprised because... You know, as you and I have talked, you know, Dr. Henry's been so supportive and complimentary in terms of what the industry's done as a safe place to be. So, you know, what what disappoints me, this is not about what the restaurants aren't doing. It's about her just wanting us to stay home. And I think she's concerned, obviously, about what she's seen. Uh, maybe some of those numbers were understated yesterday. She's seen a bit concerned. Um, on the other side, it's really concerning for us. There's a lot of restaurants that obviously... When I went through it yesterday, I went, oh, no, there's reservations. And so many restaurants have done a nice job, you know, with a, um, a scheduled dinner mm-hmm. uh, for the evening. And so, I mean, legitimately, um, you're still welcome to go to those restaurants. And if you do go, I mean, I would say, you know, in the spirit of Dr. Henry, go with your family, go with your household right. Uh, bubble. Right. And just keep it calm and just go home and finish off later on. And I think that's fine. She's concerned about a bunch of people going out, and uh, and then we're into trouble again. So I, I understand her message, and I respect it, but it is a tough one for the industry to hear, and it was sort of a surprise. You know, It was like, whoa. Now, the other side of this, uh, the third side, I guess, is that we're, we're, we're so grateful that the B.C. government has lowered and, and frozen the rates on uh, commissions to third-party delivery companies. Yes, that's just last week, yep. Yeah, which is really going to help. So, you know, if, if people say, you know what, I'm going to stay home, then go back to that restaurant and see if you can complete that transaction in your home. Help that restaurant. And um, and certainly consider, uh, you know, Simi was saying yesterday, she's going to have all, everyone in their family can order whatever they want from whoever they want tomorrow night. So they might get four or five different orders. So I think we have to sort of take this and, and use it, have some fun. Uh, we'll never be in the situation again. But 
Ultimately, yeah, you're right. It's, it's disappointing to hear that from Dr. Henry, for sure. Well, you know, I suppose, Ian, it's because so many restaurants have bent over backwards and found money they didn't even think they had or could find to invest even further in uh, plexiglass and partitions and uh, moving things around and renovating where necessary just to accommodate the the very uh, important guidelines uh, established by, the, by WorkSafe and by Dr. Henry and restaurants. And we've talked about this a lot over, and it's been a long time now. So they've had a long time to adjust and they've had to spend a fair bit of money in the process. And again, not exactly uh, balanced off by uh, a super high cash flow on the other side. So it's really higher risk every day for restaurants these days, isn't it? Oh, it's, I mean, I don't know how, I I just, I I was reading, I I sent a note to Dr. Emerson last night, who was, Who's a deputy for Doctor um, Doctor Henry, and, and expressed her disappointment uh, to sort of hear this. And and I and I read her the letter. And I started to cry. She actually said, "What's wrong?" I said, "It just makes me so sad what these business owners are going through. They've been had everything thrown at them, and then the one day of the beginning of the year or the night before, they have a chance to put some cash in the bank, and then they hear this disappointing news." Now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, you know, I guess this industry has always been known uh, for doing the right thing for its community that we serve. And it's another tough blow for us. But I'm just hoping that we, you know, with the talks of vaccinations and coming into the spring and patios again, we've got two or three months here to get through. And then I think we're get, we have clearer size. But it's a good question, as I said before with you, Sterling, how many people can actually get through this and say, you know what, enough is enough. I don't have any more cash. Well, exactly. And, and you know, as more and more of us get vaccinated, and it's quite a slow process right now because there's not a lot of vaccine around, but we know it's on the way. And so we can kind of do the math and look ahead to maybe six months from now uh, when more of us will be vaccinated. We'll have a better weather and patios and all of that sort of thing going for us. But Ian, January in the hospitality industry, the world over is tough in a good year. So we've got oh. January and then a couple more before things, uh, the weather starts to turn in our favor and a few other things. How much, how many of those restaurants that are literally hanging on by the skin of their teeth right now are going to be able to make it through to the spring? You hear some, some terrible numbers, like 60, as high as 60%. Uh, that's, those are American numbers. I think in this province, we're, we're, we're between 30 and 40%. We could lose. I mean, this is a little, little mall I, I always I, dump on my office in Vancouver, downtown. And they it was a little food court. And there was like 12 vendors in there. And I was in there last week, and I think they're down to two now. I mean, it's those smaller businesses that were family-owned, that were just, you know, grinding it through. They're at the end of it. And, um, you know, the, the thing that's keeping the industry afloat right now are wage subsidies, rent subsidies, the BC government has a recovery grant available, so I know the industry is going to jump on those types of things. Right, yeah. But the infrastructure is good. I mean, the ability to order, you can order your favorite wine if you stay home on New Year's Eve. That's now, true, yeah. Or your favorite cocktail. And so I just encourage people to, I know they don't give up. The public has been wonderful for the industry, but try to make that connection. It's going to really help that small business and just order in, have some fun. If Dr. Henry doesn't want us to go out, then let's do it inside. And We'll put those third-party companies uh, to work and make them work for their money yeah. and see if we can get through this. Well, I, and we, we will. I mean, it's a very entrepreneurial sector, but I can't, I can't understate or, or overstate the fact that they're, they're hurting. Even the big guys are hurting. Like, they're running out of cash, mm-hmm. and something's got to break here.
Ian Tostenson, it's been it's been a remarkably tough year. You have been a, a real force for your industry throughout the year and uh, represented it so effectively uh, on this program and uh, on um, so many others. Uh, I, I want to personally thank you for for doing such a fine job of, of being the spokesperson uh, for an industry that is beset by so many problems. Uh, and my hat is off to you. I look forward to continuing this conversation in the new year. And between now and then, we'll get through New Year's Eve one way or another. Happy New Year to you. We'll talk soon. Happy, you know, happy New Year to you, sir. And I really appreciate those words coming from you. That means a heck of a lot. Thanks, buddy. Mike Smith enjoying his holiday break. Sterling Fox with you on this Wednesday as we count out 2020. We'll do that with a little more panache tomorrow. Right now, one of the concerns of a lot of in a lot of British Columbia households is uh, and some anxiety in, in the wake of understanding there is a new strain of the coronavirus in our province. We identified a case on Vancouver Island just a couple of days ago. So with this now in our midst, uh, in BC, what about schools coming back from their winter break? Are parents feeling okay about kids going back to school next Monday? We thought we'd check in with Kathy Marlis this morning on this. Kathy's in Richmond and she's the creator and administrator of the BC School COVID Tracker Facebook page, which has been up and running for quite some time. Kathy Marlis, good morning. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. It's good, good to have you with it's good to have you with us. Um, we uh, we have a word here from Dr. Henry, again, talking about this new COVID variant, uh, Kathy. So let's hear from Dr. Henry, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, the concerns that you're hearing from BC parents. Here's Dr. Henry first. It just tells us that we have less room for error. It means that we cannot have more than our small group of, of household contacts, because even... Uh, even a smaller dose of the virus can lead to transmission and infection in others. Now, there's Dr. Henry, and in that same press conference, uh, and we just had a chat with the restaurant folks a few minutes ago, Kathy, talking about how uh, the the suggestion was to really uh, to dial back those uh, going out to, to dinner expectations. What are you hearing right. from Victoria, if anything, with respect to dialing back a return to school? Um, we're hearing nothing which is incredibly, incredibly concerning. Um, we've had no uh, messages about dialing back schools. We, I know that the parents and, and school staff, teachers, support staff are incredibly concerned um, that they're not taking any action or, or announcing any action in schools to keep anybody safer. And I, I listened to that press conference, that press briefing yesterday, and as she was saying that, I, I was really quite upset um, listening to, to hear that, you know, people can get this virus much more readily and not just adults, kids as well. We've seen a lot of articles and research regarding, um, regarding that fact. Mm-hmm. So how are we, you know, the, everything that I seem to hear coming from the public health officer contradicts what we're doing in school. So it's, it's quite frustrating. And, and I don't just feel that frustration. I'm hearing that from a lot of people in our, on our page as well. Yeah, and I'm just looking at your page right now. It says uh, 41,099 people follow this. So obviously it's, it's a growing uh, Facebook community. How long have you been up and running, Kathy, by the way? Uh, I believe we launched the page around September 22nd or so, yeah. Just after there. the return to school, right? Correct, correct. And it's, it's been growing. 
Okay. And uh, what sort of, what's the buzz uh, this week, uh, and, and particularly this morning, since Dr. Bonnie Henry's latest update yesterday? I watched it, too, at home yesterday, as you did, uh, just to catch up, right? Because it's been a few right. days. So what, uh, what kind of feedback are you see, receiving this morning on your, uh, your tracker Facebook page? Uh, a lot of uh, school staff are, are writing me scared. They said they were scared before. The stress level was incredibly high from September until the break. And now that stress is just mounting. Um, they're very fearful to start on, on um, January 4th. They feel um, a lot, I believe, the consensus uh, through the majority of comments and, and messages is that they'd love to see school start delayed at least by a few weeks just to allow whatever fallout from this holiday season come to the surface. I mean, if people did gather, and obviously um, we've heard stories of this happening, I think, you know, majority of people like, like Dr. Bonnie Henry has said, follow the rules, but yeah. you can't, you can't be certain. Mm-hmm. And, and I've also heard a lot of stories of people finding other people gathering. So in order to make sure that infections are not going to spike and Bonnie Henry did say yesterday that the numbers that she released were on the lower side because fewer testing happened. Right. So we don't really know the accuracy of where we stand at this moment. So I think to play it safe would allow teachers and school staff and parents to just go, okay, we're taking a, we're taking a pause just to make sure the coast is clear, that we're in a good position to send our kids back into those buildings so teachers and support staff can go back into those buildings without that added anxiety. Mental health is important just as much as physical health. Sure it is. And, and I think just knowing that we're in a pandemic, I think we need to play it a little more cautious. Well, it's interesting, Kathy. Yeah, that you would mention mental health because, of course, you're talking about the mental health of the staff at the schools and the moms and dads who send their children to schools. The government, on the other hand, uh, prefers to talk about the mental health of children and how important the socialization uh, and the experience of, of going to school, how important that is. They also lean a little bit on something called learning loss that may or may not have any substance, but they do talk about the, the mental well-being of our kids and place a lot of emphasis on socialization as being the balance to offset that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I was going to, my next comment was going to be about children's mental health. I know I can speak for my own. And there's a lot of anxiety in the kids to think that they need to go to school. I mean, obviously, kids need to be there for, for a variety of reasons. There's also a variety of reasons why kids would be much better off mental health wise, if they can to learn from home. And I think those kids that can function well and their parents can have them home should, A, it would reduce density tremendously in the classrooms and keep those who are there much safer. Right. But um, I also feel like the the learning loss, actually, I posted an article, a really good one yesterday on our page, uh, I believe it was from the New York Times, that discusses how that's kind of a non-issue. Um, but I, I think there's a way to keep everyone safe and really address both sides of the issue of those that want their kids in school and those who don't. Do we not so already we- have that possibility, Kathy? If, for example, you're apprehensive about sending your kids back next week, mm-hmm. do they, can they not just stay home and, and opt for the online component and take a pass? Uh, no. And I think that's the misconception from a lot of people. I see a lot of comments where they're like, well, just keep your kid home. Right. I don't, 
it is not an option for everyone. It's not an option for our household and our school. Not every school and district have offered um, a hybrid learning option. Right. Um, a lot of people, if they pull their kids out for an indefinite period of time, will could potentially lose their placement in their, their school, which those kids have friends. They have connections. Mm-hmm. They're connected to their school. It's a community. It's their own little family away from their family to to say, well, you, you know, we're going to risk losing all of that adds another layer of anguish and stress for the child and, and for the families that are connected. So, no, not everyone has that option. Indeed. Okay, well, that's good to know because a lot of people, as you understand, because you talk to them every day on the Facebook I thing, uh, a lot of people uh, are uh, under the impression that that's an automatic option for every school child in British Columbia, and that is simply not the case. The address, friends, if you're listening to this, if you're a concerned parent and would like to connect with Kathy Marlis, it's facebook.com slash tracker. And if you like it enough, you can even buy them a coffee. Uh, Kathy, I like that suggestion, but it's a great little fundraising thing. Kathy, thanks for joining us this morning. We appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for having me. Stay safe and, and Happy New Year. It's sterling for Mike on a Wednesday morning. A shocking details coming out of two murders in two days quite recently in Surrey. Uh, with more on the latest from the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team, here's Frank Jang. Now, what I can tell you about our victim is that our victim was 14 years old. He was a resident of Burnaby. Uh, He was known to police, and we believe our victim was targeted for murder. That is Sergeant Frank James, uh, Jang rather, with the Integrated Homicide Investigation Unit talking about the most recent murder victim, a 14-year-old, the night before a 19-year-old was murdered. Uh, where Are we on the cusp of some other, some an, a, rev, a revival of, of gang wars that we haven't seen around the Lower Mainland in quite some time? Here to talk more about this is Rob Gordon, a criminology professor at Simon Fraser. Professor Gordon, Rob, good morning. Good morning to you, Sonny. It's good to have you with us. What do you make of this? Is this the beginning of a trend or just two random events that uh, are uh, causing much disruption at the end of a terrible year already? Oh, boy, yeah. I mean, it's certainly not random. These, uh, these individuals have been involved in, um, in organized uh, drug distribution groups or gangs, um, my understanding of the of the fatality re- resulting or the 14-year-old being killed was really um, to do with his involvement in a particular drug line. So he was involved in the distribution uh, and obviously crossed somebody, whether he failed to, um, failed to deliver the goods, ran with the money or what is, is for the police to determine. And they're no doubt working on that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it's not the beginning of, um, of, a, of a new wave of, of uh, violent gang activity. I mean, this stuff is all, always there. It's a, it's a gentle throb in the background, and every so often you get this major uh, outburst, right. spike in the activity. So that's been a constant for the last well, 10, 15 years, um, and it, it's not something that should necessarily alarm us the age of this individual is the thing that has struck a chord with some people i think because uh, as is reported uh, to my knowledge this is the youngest um, individual who's been killed individual involved in 
the industry as opposed to being um, a bystander. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, uh, and the other part of this revelation, too, Rob, that's uh, so difficult for so many to digest, aside from this, uh, the kid's age of 14, is that in the drug business, in the illicit drug trade, delivery boys, clearly that's what the, this kid was, that was one of his functions, delivery boys are quite expendable. Easy collateral damage, no problem. The people who employ, for lack of a better word, people like this don't care. No, that, that's that's about right. And in, employ is a, is a good term. I mean, it, it it's precisely what they're doing. Um, they could be delivering hamburgers, uh, but they just happen not to be. Uh, and for some reason, as I say, this individual has crossed a group, and uh, they decided to uh, either get or get rid of him for either um, personal reasons. We should not necessarily assume that it is drug related, right? either personal reasons or that he has, in fact, failed to conform or failed to comply with his contractual obligations. So uh, this is how they deal with it. It's uh, summary justice, and it, it's, uh, it's very effective, but it does it casts a chill. Um, people are very concerned about this. And we, and we see examples, and you're quite right to point out too, Rob, that this, this is an ongoing scenario, and, and, and we just sort of jog local uh, memories by, by pointing out, you'll hear of, of uh, a, what is called a targeted hit. Someone is yeah. literally yeah. assassinated uh, by a, a drive-by, and then a vehicle is found to be on fire out in the burbs somewhere that uh, clearly was involved in the shooting. So that's the destruction of the getaway vehicle. There's a pattern that that once we start to pay attention, we recognize being repeated uh, uh, regularly about uh, on a frequency, Rob, of about once every three months in 2020. Uh, yes, that's about right. I mean, if you count the media reports, which in this instance are actually quite accurate uh, and do very effectively cover the region. Uh, so you can see, you can start to, to plot um, where these incidents are occurring um, and, and who's uh, likely linked to them. Uh, I mean, there's, there's been an ongoing fight between uh, a couple of groups. Uh, I won't mention them, but a couple of groups that are uh, very active and have for some time been active in the illegal drug trade. They're working out their differences um, one way or another. Uh, this young fellow may just have been caught up in that. I, I don't know. It's it's for the police to determine, and they will. They'll get to the root of it, because uh, I think a lot of people will be coming forward with information who otherwise might not have bothered. I would certainly hope so, Rob, but, you know, because the other side of this is, and we've seen it in the past in Metro Vancouver, fortunately not as frequently as they're seeing it in places like Toronto, where, for example, gang warfare is much more a real thing, and and young people uh, attack each other in broad daylight, not particularly caring if innocent civilians are between them. Uh, it, it's It's really close to out of control, so in Vancouver, we see that. We've seen it in the past. Are you? Th- do you think, Rob, we might be heading in that tit-for-tat retaliatory phase of the combat between these two groups? Well, we're in that now. Um, there's no question about that. That, again, is a constant. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it usually runs about three cycles. So you, you have an event, there's a response to the event, there's a response to the response. And then it shuts down for some reason, 
whether they run out of ammunition, I, I don't know. But it's a <clears throat> excuse me. It's a, it does follow that that uh, pattern, which is which is you know pretty bad. And, and normally, um, innocent bystanders are not involved. Um, and this young fellow uh, is clearly not an innocent bystander. Right. Right. So you know, let, let's get that clear. Um, and if you get involved in this particular uh, activity, uh, this is one of the risks that you face. Um, it's a byproduct of the game that you're involved in. And I'm not sure, sure a, lot of, uh, a lot of thinking goes into uh, exactly uh, or the decisions made to go ahead and be involved in this. I yeah. think probably not. The lure of the cash is going to dominate. And does this bode well for 2021? More of same or an escalation? Do you fear more? More of the same. Um, the the industry itself is disrupted. It's been disrupted by a number of things. One, believe it or not, is COVID uh, and the the shutting of the border. Sure, that that's created new opportunities uh, and new frustrations, and uh, I'm told some new players coming into the scene. Um, and that has resulted in conflicts between people. But, I mean, it, it's a slow grind. If you wanted to stop, don't buy street drugs. That's the bottom line. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that's great advice. Now, I have to leave it there, Rob, but what, what an right. excellent bit of advice to leave it with. Don't buy street drugs. I mean, right. pretty, pretty much everything that'll get you somewhere is legal in B.C. now. Thanks for this this morning, Rob. Happy New You're Year welcome. to you. We'll talk again next year. You betcha. Bye-bye.